Yo, 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 what's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Kai Lay. Welcome to episode 18 of the Midnight Snacks with Kai Lay podcast. And if you want a theme for this episode, you know, think of it as a bit of a real estate episode or a home hunting episode, because we're going to talk about three stars in three different leagues that are all either finding a new place to play for or are actively looking for a new place to play for. So it's a bit of a relocation episode across the North American sports world. And we're going to kick that off. You know, we're going to talk about James Harden. That was a couple weeks ago. We are going to talk about a couple other Houston superstars. And we're going to kick that off with George Springer, the free agent from the Houston Astros that just a couple days ago, I believe that was actually probably yesterday afternoon or whatever. It was Tuesday night into Wednesday morning. I'm recording this Thursday night. Time is a blur. But yeah, Wednesday morning, I think it was, he officially signed the contract with the Toronto Blue Jays. Six years, $150 million. A big contract for a guy that's going to be 37 when that contract ends. And it's a guy that, you know, probably profiles as more of a corner outfielder later in his career, but might be able to play some center field now. And I, you know, for the Blue Jays, as much as it might be a bit of an overpay, I like the contract. They've got so many young players where the contracts aren't super high. You know, guys like Bill Bichette, Kevin Biggio, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Lourdes Gurriel, plenty of prospects, plenty of young guys that are coming through that are just absolutely, they can rake some of these guys. So it's a great lineup. You throw the veteran Springer in there, a guy with plenty of postseason experience, and, you know, whatever you think about the Astros and cheating with the video and finding out which pitch was coming, bottom line, the dude has just mashed in the postseason for his entire time in Houston. They've been to four straight ALCSs, and he's been a huge part of that this year playing in neutral fields or away games, no fans. They were in Minnesota for the first round, won those games. They went on to, I believe it was Los Angeles, to play the A's and got out of that divisional round series. And he was absolutely torching the A's. You know, the ball was flying out of Los Angeles that series. I played those games during the day, but he went for two home runs in the four games, drove in four. Then the seven-game ALCS against the, the Rays, they almost came back from down 3 nothing. He hit two home runs in that series. Historically, he's been great in the postseason, the 2017 World Series, which, yes, I know the cheating allegations, the camera allegations. He hit five home runs. He won World Series MVP. Whether you know what pitch is coming or not, he hits bombs. He mashes. In his career, he's been in 13 playoff series, 63 games, 19 home runs, and 38 RBIs. You can't really ask for any more production out of a guy that can hit on top of the lineup. He's a good outfielder. He's got you know positive defensive run saves in center field. He can move to the corner. He's played plenty in the corner. He can move there when he gets older. The DH is going to be a thing, so when he gets way into that contract, year five or six, he can always slide there if he has to. But he's a good enough defender now where you don't have to worry about his defense. He'll at the top of the order. He can run. He can do all those things, and he's super clutch. Throughout his career, he's got, uh, I believe it's an 850 OPS, 131 OPS plus, both really good numbers there. Not, you know, at nothing over the top ridiculous it's not like you're signing you know babe prime babe ruth or mike trout here but a very good signing nonetheless six years 150 it's reasonable you know anytime you get a big free agent you're gonna have to overpay a bit the end of that contract's gonna be tough but it's a blue jays team that had some money to spend they've been in on a lot of the big names they finally got one they also just signed kirby yates to their bullpen on a bit of a cheaper contract a show me contract so They've had some money to spend. He really brings the lineup together now. It's a very deep lineup in Toronto. And since so many of these young players are just coming up, they haven't had to pay those guys big-time money yet. That might prove a problem later down the road when they're trying to sign some of these guys like Biggio and Bichette and Guerrero Jr. to extensions. Sure, the money might be a little tight there, but for now, they had the money to spend. I like going out and getting Springer because, yeah, you know the timelines, they don't match up perfectly. Springer's 30 going on 31. 
a lot of these younger guys, obviously much younger than that in their, in their early 20s. But those guys are already hitting pretty well now. Toronto got into the playoffs as an 8th seed, lost to Tampa Bay. But you know the bats, they, they're hitting now. So getting a guy like Springer in, yeah, it might not line up down the line. But in the next couple of years, they might still be a couple arms away from being true contenders. But they've got some prospects like Nate Pearson. If he continues to take the next steps and Hyunjin Ryu can continue doing what he's been doing, there's some pieces there in the rotation you can maybe trade for another because they've got so many young assets. The lineup's there now. The lineup's pretty deep. It's pretty scary. We can go through a bit of a projected lineup here really quick. You got Rowdy Telez, Danny Jansen down at the bottom of the order playing catcher at first base. Then you get into Kevin Biggio, Vlad Jr., Bo Bichette, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., George Springer, Teoscar Hernandez, Randall Gritchick, all guys that have been really solid for Toronto, especially Bo Bichette. He had a, he's had a great couple of years now. You know, 840 OPS from him playing middle infield, just 22 years old. He's going to turn 23 right before the season starts. But, you know, five home runs last year in just 30 games. The, the kids arrived. He's here now. They, they got the support for him now. This isn't a guy that's young. Like, oh, in two, three years, he'll be great. No, he's legitimately a good player now. He's ready to go now on his career. He's just played 75 games. He already has 16 home runs. So some he's got some pop in the middle uh, the middle infield there. A guy that, you know, potentially 30 home runs out of your shortstop. Can't complain about that. You know, he strikes out a bit like everyone. But on his career in 2019, he had a 930 OPS. Last year, it was a bit of an injury shortened year. But he's here. Vlad Guerrero was one of the most hyped up prospects, not just because of his dad, but because he can just absolutely blast baseballs. He's hitting line drives off the fence so hard that he can only get to first base. And yeah, it's because he's, you know, he's lost a lot of weight now too. So he can probably get second base now that he can run a little bit faster. So this is a lineup that's ready to roll. It's in an AL East where the Yankees are a very good team, but, you know, they're always hurt. Aaron Judge, John Carlos Stanton. The question's not the talent. The question's can you stay on the field? And the question is, can the Yankees finally get enough pitching behind Garrett Cole? They've got some prospects like Schmidt, Garcia that are coming along, Jordan Montgomery that might be able to contribute, but how long is that development going to be? Is it going to be like Toronto where a guy like Bo Bichette comes onto the scene and just instantly starts to rake? Or is it going to be a bit more of a slow burn and those guys can't really give you the innings you need right away? Because, you know, pitching is a bit of an issue. And if the stars go down in New York, that's a team that might not be as dominant as they're hoping. You know, Toronto adds that extra bat to their lineup to lengthen it that much more. They'll be able to take advantage of that. And that makes them a real scary team They at least. Boston, they're rebuilding right now. They've got some pieces, but let's be real. They're not scaring too many people. Baltimore is fully into one of the biggest rebuilds we've really ever seen with the amount of guys that they jettison. They've got prospects, but they're probably not ready yet. I mean, they're definitely not, let's be real. But in a couple of years, sure, you know, Adley Rushman, some guys like that. But they're not there yet. Toronto's farther along than they are. And Tampa Bay got to the World Series last year, but they're a team that never wants to spend money. And during the pandemic, started shifting out a lot of its stars. You look at Randy Rosarena's going to be there because he just came up, but Blake Snell got shipped out on his contract. So who's to say how great they're going to be next year and down the road because they never want to pay anybody. Toronto, they went out, made a big splash. They paid someone. Their lineup looks good. They've got a couple pitchers. They probably need a few more. Ross Stripling, Tanner Roark are down in the back half of that rotation. Robbie Ray, they could probably use a little bit more. But Ryu and Pearson at the top, if Pearson takes that next step, could be a pretty good one too. And the lineup looks good enough to compete now. So I like it from a Blue Jays perspective. You know, They might not be as good. You know, They're probably not as good as the Dodgers because it's the Dodgers. That team is terrifying. They scare everyone. And they probably could use a few more arms before they get to that level. Sure. 
but I like going for Springer because he's going to be that veteran presence in that locker room where when you're in a big game, no moment's too big for George Springer. None. Even on that big DJ LeMahieu homer in game six of the 2019 ALCS that tied the game in the ninth for L2, they walked it off and sent the Astros to the World Series. DJ LeMahieu hits that opposite field shot to right. George Springer was really only a foot away from robbing that ball about six feet above the fence, it looked like, you know. As great a moment as that was from LeMahieu, Springer almost brought it back. And I know that's not a ringing endorsement of a guy in his defense. Like, oh, you know, he almost brought it back. But, you know, that's the kind of stuff that George Springer's capable of. He looks like the kind of guy that in the biggest moment is going to come up with the big play. He couldn't there, but he did it with his bat. And he's made good plays in the field besides that one. And I know, obviously, it's a bit of a weird analogy there. He didn't steal a home run, so he's a clutch player. But he was right there. If DJ LeMay, he gets one less foot on that ball, he makes a season-saving home run that sends him to the World Series. Excuse me, a catch. A season-saving catch that sends him to the World Series. So he makes the clutch plays. Like we just talked about in the postseason, the guy's ridiculous. The 19 home runs in 63 postseason games. Just absolutely ridiculous numbers in the postseason. A guy that's got a 900 OPS in the postseason. A World Series MVP. That's the veteran leadership you want in your locker room. And he's the guy that when the Blue Jays have a big game in September against the Yankees or against Tampa Bay or whoever it is in a pennant race to get into the playoffs, he's going to be that calming figure in the locker room. You know, tell guys like, hey, you know, we're good enough to do this because Toronto's got the hitters to do this now. It's guys to be like, hey, step in the box, get some good at-bats. We can do this. He's going to step up, hit leadoff, set the tone early. He's good at that too. You know, it's a lot of leadoff home runs. Great bat atop your lineup. He's going to set the tone early. And it's going to be that voice in the dugout throughout the game that keeps guys' spirits up, does the veteran stuff, you know, picks up on the little things from the pitcher, which I'm not trying to make a video joke here again. I know that that's a big criticism with the Astros, how much of his numbers is because they knew a pitch was coming. He did it on the road this year, so I don't think it's a lot. He hit four home runs in the ALDS and ALCS this year, and they were playing in neutral ground stadiums with no fans. So I'm I'm thinking he's legit, guys. I'm just going to say that. I'm not going to think that this is a big scandal. It's going to follow him. He's going to be terrible in Toronto now just because he left Houston. Still going to have plenty of hitters' parks to hit in in the ALE, so the numbers aren't going to drop off for any reason like that. If they drop off, it's going to be age and injury. There's really not much of a reason to see that happening now. I know he's missed a couple games the last couple years, but it's been nothing crazy. There's nothing on his injury history that screams, stay away from this guy. And if he breaks down to the end of that contract, yeah, that's the risk of a six-year guy that's turning 31 before the season starts or during the season. But it's a risk I like for the Blue Jays. I think they have guys that are ready to win, if not now, very soon. They probably need a couple pitchers to really be that elite, elite team. But with bats like that, you got to take your window while you got it. And they're not paying those guys a lot of money now, so take advantage of that while you can. Worry about extensions down the line when you have to. And yeah, that's the risk with Springer, but it's probably a bit more of a front-loaded contract anyway. So down the road, they'll still have money in years five and six of that contract to extend guys like Bichette. They'll figure it out when they get there. I like that they're taking the initiative, going out, trying to win now, because it's a team that really could win the division if things break their way and a couple other teams like Tampa Bay and the Yankees take steps back. Yeah, it's an uphill fight, but it's it's not it's certainly within the realm of possibility. It's not out of the question that Toronto definitely could grab a wild card next year, could win the division. Maybe they won't. Maybe they'll miss the playoffs completely, but you have to appreciate the fact that they're going for it, where so many teams in baseball would not pandemic year or not they wouldn't open the checkbooks for a big superstar like this and even with the springer thing or the springer contract you look at the teams interested it was really came down to the mets and the blue jays and the mets didn't want to give him a sixth year the blue jays did and maybe that's a bit of an overpay but you gotta do what you gotta do to get a star player
they went out and they got one so you gotta respect that i don't hate the fit and i go fit into that outfield top of that lineup right-handed bat solid fit with the blue jays lineup it makes it a very scary lineup the question is pitching we'll see but as for the Mets, the team that missed out on George Springer, as a Mets fan, not very disappointed because it is a lot of money, and the Mets have their extensions due up a lot sooner than the Blue Jays do. Conforto, Syndergaard, they're up next season. Lindor's up next season, obviously, after that trade. So if the rationale from the Mets is we don't want to overpay this guy because we want to extend our guys, can't be upset with it. And to be honest, as much as George Springer is a good defender, he's probably not the right defender for the Mets in the sense that the Mets need a center fielder, so Brandon Nimmo does not play center field because he is horrendous there. You want to move him to left, now you need a guy in center. George Springer might not be in center field for the full length of that contract. He's probably only going to be in center for about half of it. Then the Mets would have the same issue again where they've got corner outfielders and no one to play center. So the fit's not great there defensively, and they already have Alonzo and Smith both at first base. Someone's going to be DHing there, so you can't really move him to DH. They're stuck with old man Cano next year when he comes back from his drug suspension and adds $20 million to the payroll unless they can find a way to get rid of him after his whole second PED thing. Maybe he suspends himself by taking PEDs again, because who knows? These guys never really seem to get it through their heads to stop taking steroids once they get caught or to just not take them in the first place. That's a whole other story. Well, that's all another argument. That's a whole other can of worms. This is about George Springer. And the Mets, they can go plenty of different directions now. The way that I've kind of always been pretty okay with all offseason is Jackie Bradley Jr. I know he's not a good bat, and it would help a lot more if he was right-handed because the Mets have plenty of left-handed bats. That's where Springer would have really helped the Mets as a right-handed bat. But Jackie Bradley Jr. can give you gold glove center field. Probably won't be very cheap or very long-term, con- or excuse me, probably won't be very expensive. You can probably get him on a cheap shorter-term contract, which would definitely be a benefit for the Mets with so many younger star players to extend, with Syndergaard coming off injury, Conforto, Lindor, like we talked about. That's probably the bigger priority. So you can get a guy like Jackie Bradley Jr., still have that short-term flexibility to go add another lefty to your pen like Brad Hand, who they've been connected to with rumors all offseason. So I wouldn't mind seeing the Mets go that route. I also wouldn't be surprised to see them go get a defensive third baseman, because from everything we've heard all offseason, uh, they don't seem to be very happy with J.D. Davis's defense at third. They see him more as a bat off the bench late in the game or a D.H. So we'll have to see how that plays out. But I probably think the Mets now pivot to more of a Jackie Bradley Jr., Brad Hand, maybe a defensive infielder if they move McNeil to third and get a guy like Colton Long to play second base. They transition to more of that get cheaper guys to fill out the roster instead of getting one star and that being it, which probably makes a bit more sense if you're looking at building a team instead of just building a collection of stars. So, can't really hate it there as a Mets fan. You know, of course, yeah, getting George Springer would be cool, but knowing that it's not just getting George Springer to vacuum, knowing that there's extensions to give out and other issues on this team to address, like the pen, like maybe getting some extra starter depth, addressing defense at third base and elsewhere in the infield. You know, defense has been a much bigger issue for the Mets than scoring runs. Their offense was top three in the league last year. They had the same, I think it was OPS plus as a team as the Dodgers, and the Dodgers went on and won the World Series. So, hitting theoretically, is not the issue for the Mets. We'll see if it turns out that way, but the issue last year was pitching. They've got needs to address there. Use that money to address that. Extend your stars like Lindor, who is going to want probably two, $300 million next year. Probably going to want more. The Mets might try to give him less, but he's going to want a massive contract. So I'd rather have them give him that than throw all your money at Springer now and then have to lose half your team next year to free agency. So not that disappointed. Happy for the Blue Jays. I like the fit there. That's an exciting team. They add another exciting bat to it. 
So yeah, happy with the George Springer move. Not too disappointed as a Mets fan. Hopefully they can capitalize on some of the lesser tier free agents and really round out the team, making a more complete team. And uh, hopefully the Blue Jays can have some success with that contract and encourage more teams in the future to go for it with big signings and go after star players. So that way baseball can, you know, stop pretending that no one wants to pay anybody and all that good stuff that we've talked about plenty of times before, especially in that Lindor episode. So yeah, hopefully this is a sign that baseball teams want to spend more money. It probably won't be, but if the Blue Jays have success, maybe that helps that argument. That would be cool. So yeah, that's George Springer, but there's another Houston star that is looking to be on the move. He's not on the move yet. George Springer, he moved, he got his house in, in Houston. Now he's looking for property in Toronto or maybe Buffalo. Not really sure how that's going to go down yet. But there's another Houston star that is looking for some new property outside of H-Town. That's quarterback Deshaun Watson. They lost Harden. They lost Springer. Now they might be losing their quarterback. So yeah, brutal, brutal time for Houston sports. But that's just the way it is sometimes. But Deshaun Watson just apparently fed up with the organization in Houston and that he didn't have much of a say in the GM hire and that they didn't hi- uh, they didn't interview Eric Bieniemy for head coach when he wanted them to. So he's all but requested a trade. I think he's, I'm not sure if he's formally requested a trade, but all the reports from Adam Schefter, NFL Insider, is that he's done with Houston, doesn't want to be there anymore, and it's tough because that was really the only draw for Houston. They don't have a lot of picks because Bill O'Brien traded them away. They're all but out of cap space. So not a lot of ways to address a team that went 4-12, and and that's a team that went 4-12 and when Deshaun Watson led the league in passing, had easily a top-five season last year of all the quarterbacks in the NFL. That includes guys like Mahomes and Rodgers, who's probably going to win the MVP. He's right up there in that category of quarterback, had a career year, led the league in passing yards, and the team still went 4-12 and and has very limited draft picks, and they're in negative cap space right now. So not a desirable job for a head coach. If Deshaun Watson wants out, that makes it that much worse because you lose a franchise quarterback at 25, 26 years old, hard to come back from that. So Deshaun Watson, he's got a no-trade clause, no-movement clause, where he's going to basically have to pick his destination if the Texans decide to trade him. Of course, the Texans don't have to trade him. He just signed a four-year extension that kicks in after the season. It'll take him up to his age 30 season in 2025. It's about $40 million a year. So he's got that big-money contract extension that if Texans don't have to move him, but if the situation gets toxic enough, we've seen it happen before, not with quarterbacks, but Jamal Adams forces his way out of New York. Jalen Ramsey forces his way out of Jacksonville. We see it all the time in the NBA. Of course, that's a different sport. But if he wants to make this messy, they might have no choice but to trade him. And it'll be devastating for Houston because there's no way you're ever going to be able to get fair compensation back for a franchise quarterback. You're just not. Because no amount of first-round picks is going to be able to replace what Deshaun Watson can give you unless you hit on another quarterback in the draft. And that's far from a guarantee. We saw it in his own draft class. He was, I believe, the second or third quarterback taken. I think it was second behind Mitch Trubisky, and then Mahomes went third. So you have your pick of the quarterbacks there. If you're Chicago, you go with Trubisky. That doesn't work out. You know, quarterbacks, you got to find the right one. That's what it comes down to if you want value there. Those picks, a team that trades you picks for Deshaun Watson, probably not going to be picking in the top five because... You know, even Houston, they, you know, they don't have their pick this year. It's Miami's pick, but it only would have been, I believe, I think it's actually third, the third overall pick. So, yeah, you know, it, it, teams could screw it up, sure. But it's pretty hard to have a quarterback throw for nearly 5,000 yards and finish in the top three of the draft. So you're not going to be getting the quarterback of those picks, probably. Or at least you're not going to get your pick of the quarterbacks. You're going to have to either move up and trade all your other draft picks, or you're going to have to hope a guy falls to you that turns into a superstar like Sean Watson did in the first place. That's a big risk, because... 
you know, it happens a decent amount, but realistically, you'd want to get your guy. You don't want to hope the guy falls to you. So you, you might not get a quarterback to replace Deshaun with that. And that's really all that matters in the NFL. You got to have a great quarterback and you got to have a coach that meshes with your quarterback, develops him along, because a lot of it's coaching and the team and the situation you land on, it all goes hand in hand. And when you're trading that away, it's really hard to get it back. And that's what it's going to come down to for the Texans. There's a couple suitors that have come out there. There's some there's some rumors with Carolina because you know he's from uh, he's from Georgia. That's closest the closest NFL team to Clemson. The Falcons maybe as well, although they have a little bit more cap issues with Matt Ryan still being under contract. Those are some rumors. The big one in the NFC that I've seen is San Francisco if they want to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo. Now it'll be interesting because they have a really strong defense. They had some injuries this year and still weren't that bad of a team. Obviously in the Super Bowl last year. He goes there. That makes that team pretty scary really right away. And then two big fits in the AFC, which have seemed like the two obvious ones, for the Texans at least. I know you don't want to trade him in conference, but if you want to look at teams that have anything close to compensation that Houston would want, the two big ones are the Jets and the Dolphins. And to me, the choice that stands out to me would be the Dolphins. Not because not because of uh, the Texans having a preference to trade with one or the other necessarily, but the Jets and Dolphins, they jumped to the top because they've got multiple first-round picks in the next couple drafts. The Dolphins obviously have the third overall pick this year from Houston. They also have their own. The Jets, they have Seattle's first the next couple of years because of the Jamal Adams trade. So they've got the assets to give up first-round picks to get Deshaun Watson. A lot of what I've seen since Deshaun Watson, yeah, he's got the contract, so Houston has leverage there. If he makes it toxic enough that Houston loses leverage, you're looking at maybe three first-round picks and some other stuff thrown in there. The Jets and Dolphins can easily give up first-round picks the next couple of years because they're not giving up their own. They've got extra ones. And then throwing another one, you're not going to complain about giving up one of your own first-round picks, or I guess one, or at least giving up on the first round entirely in just one draft class when you're getting a guy like Sean Watson. You easily give that up for a franchise quarterback because think of it as Sean Watson's your draft pick that year, if nothing else. So they've got the assets to give, but to me, Miami makes the most sense here to Sean Watson because they've already got the great young defense and a good amount of young playmakers. Of course, Miami, maybe they don't give up on Tua, but to me, you're crazy if you're going to hold on to Tua over to Sean Watson because even if Tua turns into a great quarterback, and I'm not saying he get rid of him because he stunk this year. Not at all. I'd say stick with him. But Sean Watson isn't just some regular quarterback. I'm not saying give up on Tua for Josh Rosen. I'm saying give up on Tua for a top four or five quarterback in the league that's 25 years old and entering his prime when you've got the defense that looks like a legit defense already. In the NFL, things can change so fast. You throw a quarterback like that into that defense, that immediately puts you into the contender status. It just does. And I know the Dolphins don't have a ton of skill position talent right now compared to other teams, but they still have that other first-round pick they could hold on to later in the first round, their own pick. They've got day-two picks they could use on skill guys. You can find skill guys pretty quick. A lot of rumors are that Allen Robinson wants to play with Deshaun Watson. You could sign him, too. He's a number one. You do that kind of stuff, all of a sudden, yeah, you're you're right there. You're a contender. And it's the same point of view for the Jets. The reason I'd say go to Miami if I was Deshaun is that, you know, they're both great cities. They're both big cities. New York's colder. Miami's a bit more of, like, the fun, warm-weather city. But Miami's got the better defense than the Jets. They're a better team than the Jets. The Texans, you know, it might not be up to them. The offer is the offer. Those two teams are probably going to have the best two offers. The Texans have to accept the offer, of course. But if it comes down to the Jets' offer and the Dolphins' offer, even if one's a little better than the other, if Deshaun says, I'm not accepting this one, I want to go to this city, Texans might have to just say, screw it, we're sending you to Miami if you want Miami, or we're sending you to New York if you want New York. 
that's where he has the leverage because he can just choose to not waive his clause. Ultimately, I would 100% give up three first-round picks for Deshaun Watson, even if it meant giving up later picks. If the Texans asked for a quarterback back and Darnold or two, I would 100% do that too. Because bottom line, neither one of those quarterbacks look like top four quarterbacks right now. A lot can change. Josh Allen didn't look great his first year, and he's you know top two or three in the league right now. Yeah, that matters a lot. Sean Watson is there now. There's no question mark. He's great. He's elite. He's 25. He signed till he's 30. You get his best years. And all you have to do is give up three first-round picks. And if you're, well, maybe, we don't know what the exact offer is, but a lot of what I've seen is that you're only going to have to give up three, four first-round picks. If those first two years of the draft, you've got extra first-round picks to give, it's a no-brainer. Even if you have to throw in some day-two picks and one of those years or a little bit down the line and to get the value up and give up your young quarterback to go with it, it doesn't matter. That's the most important position in the game, and it's not close. You've got to get your quarterback, and you're getting one of the best for his best years. And if you're the Dolphins, I think especially you should be going for it with that defense you have. Jets, they think they can bring it along. They just got the new coach in there, Rob Sala. They've got Joe Douglas. They've got some respect in the league despite being 2-14. and 14. But if you're Sean Watson, yeah, they went 2-14. and 14. Like, they can get skilled position the same way the Dolphins can. They've got other picks. You can go out and sign free agents. There's a lot more questions when it comes to the Jets than when it comes to the Dolphins. So to me, the Dolphins... When you look at fit, the Jets and Dolphins probably have the most offered. The Dolphins are the better teams. If I'm Deshaun, I had to choose between those two because those are the only two the Texans are going to accept. Yeah, I would want to go there. And if it came down to like the Jets and the Niners, I'd probably want to go to the Niners because they were much better than the Jets last year and the year before, and they've got the scary defense. And I know the Jets just took Saul over. So sure, that defense could improve. But again, Deshaun, you're in your prime years. You want to get out of Houston because you feel like they're wasting you away. And Andre Johnson's coming out, Houston legend supporting you and saying that they're wasting guys' career. Do you really want to go to the Jets, where the Jets are really good at wasting guys' careers and not winning football games? You know, they haven't necessarily wasted quarterbacks because their quarterbacks haven't been very good. But do you really want to risk going to New York and seeing if you're that franchise quarterback that they waste? I mean, I guess you could argue Miami wasted Dan Marino because he didn't win the Super Bowl, but Dan Marino was, you know, he still had a damn good career, still played in plenty of big games. The Jets haven't played a playoff game in, in 10 years. It's the longest drought in the NFL. Is that really where you want to go? I mean, look, you could turn around New York. And if you turn around New York, you know, you're never going to be a bigger star. But it's a big if. Miami, it looks a lot more, you know, obviously it's always an if. But if you go to Miami, it looks a lot more certain than if you go to New York. And I'm saying this as a Jets fan. Like, I would be over the moon if the Jets gave up four first-round picks, Sam Darnold, and some later-round picks for Deshaun Watson, like a second or a third or whatever. 100% on board. I don't know why he would want to come here, to be honest. You know, I get it. Maybe you just want to be in New York. And you want to go hang out with James Harden and Kevin Durant. And watch the Nets games. And do whatever else there is to do in New York. And just be in the biggest city in the world. Like, yeah, it's a huge draw. It's the Jets. That, that's all I'm going to say. It's the Jets. So Deshaun Watson, he's in Houston. Maybe looking for some new property in New York. From what it seemed like on social media the last few days. But... It was up to me. I'd maybe be looking for some beachfront stuff down in Miami or even some stuff on the Bay out in San Francisco. But Or even going back closer to home with Carolina. Well, to be honest, Carolina and, and Atlanta, I just don't see happening at all because they don't have the assets that the Jets and Dolphins do, and they're not really as competitive as the Niners or the Dolphins are. So I don't see those working out. To me, it's those three teams, the Niners, Dolphins, Jets. And I would probably have the Jets as the third destination if I was Sean. 
I can see why the Texans might want him to go there because I could get more. But again, Deshaun, ultimately, this trade's up to you with that no trade clause. It's New York, buddy. I, I'm not saying you can't handle it. I'm not saying anything like that about the media can't handle New York. I think he'd be fine. It's the Jets. The Jets specialize in one thing, and that is being bad at football. And sure, maybe he could change that, but it's a big if. It's a big if, Deshaun. So, you know, and not that the Dolphins have been a model franchise for the past decade or so either. You know, they, they have been a perennially bad team since Marino left as well. But it's the Jets. Yikes. That brings us to one final star player. This one, not from Houston. Don't worry. Houston does not have a hockey team yet. Maybe one day. Arizona. Moving to Houston. Who knows? But we're going to talk about a hockey player that also is acting very similar to Sean Watson, trying to force his way into a new home. And that is Pierre-Luc Dubois, PLD, from CBJ, the Columbus Blue Jackets, the first-line center of the Columbus Blue Jackets, that is 22 years old, just finished his entry-level contract, and is signed for this year and next year at $5 million against the cap, which is a pretty good contract for a guy that, you know, pretty solid two-way center, put up 60, uh, 60 points in 2018-19, 50 points in 70 games last year before the season stopped. So a guy that's shown you right around 50 points, has played pretty well in the playoffs, 10 points in 10 games last year, 5 points in 10 games the year they knocked out Tampa Bay in the first round. Solid player, top-line type player. He's really grown into that role, had that big overtime goal, against Toronto back in the playing round. So, you know, he's a big part of that team. And then right before the season or over the summer, whatever it was, just decides, yeah, I don't want to be here anymore. And, you know, you got head coach John Tortorella. That's not going to go over well. Because Torts is as, uh, he's as, as straightforward as it gets, as brash as it gets, you know. He'll tell you right to your face, kid, you know, give us a real reason why. That's basically what he said in press conferences. You know, he, he stood up in the locker room, said, yeah, guys, I don't want to be here. Torch said his reasoning was kind of crap. There wasn't a real reason why he wanted to leave. He just said he wanted to leave. It's a bit of a weird one because hockey players usually aren't the type to just force their way out of a situation when it's a team that's been pretty good in Columbus. You know, I know they lost Panarin and Bobrovsky and star players after that 2019 playoff run in Duchesne, but they got back to the playoffs last year on a team that really wasn't supposed to go anywhere. I know Tortorella is a demanding coach and you know, he's a coach that asks a lot of his players, but it's a team that's won. And it's hard to say that he, Tortorello is like this big problem when, you know, you've been winning. And as a 22-year-old kid in the NHL, you just don't really see this kind of thing. You see star players be like, yeah, I'm leaving in free agency. You don't see guys really demanding a trade at 22 in the NHL and just really just being like, yeah, I'm leaving. And, you know, he gets signed. He was an RFA for most of the winter. And right before the season signs, signs a contract, and a couple days later, it's like, yeah, I want to leave. So I don't really know what happened there, but it's an ugly It's turned ugly in the last couple weeks because Tortorella's talked about, like, well, I'm going to bench him. He's not playing hard. And tonight, that was the night. He got benched tonight. He played three and a half minutes, four minutes in the first period, and then did not see the ice again for the last four or five minutes of the first period, and did not see the ice in the second period, third period, or overtime in a game that Columbus lost in overtime. He is their top-line center. He did not play the last 45 minutes of that game. And I'm not going to sit here and blame Tortorella because I've seen the video. If you haven't seen the video on Twitter floating around, I'll try to link it in the description if I remember. But there was a board battle with Tyler Johnson on the Lightning. Tyler Johnson is about five foot nine, Small dude. Pierre-Luc Dubois, bigger guy. Uh, I don't know how big he actually is size-wise. I think he's about like 6'3". 6'3", 218. 
Tyler Johnson is probably 5'9", about 180, 185 soaking wet. Small guy, biggish guy. And they're in the corner together, and Pierre-Luc Dubois kind of just bumps into him, pucks between their feet, and just stands there. And Johnson skates away. And they've got the ISO cam on that whole shift, and he's just kind of gliding around the ice, pointing to his teammates, like, yeah, go cover that guy, go cover that guy. Not really doing anything himself, kind of drifting along, getting frustrated when he does get the puck, goes in after the puck, and then once he gets into it with Johnson, just kind of stands there and lets him skate away. And Tortorella just pulled the plug right there, sat on the bench the rest of the night. Comes a media firestorm across the NHL. Tortorella gets into the postgame press conference. They're like, hey, John, you said we would know when you benched the guy. And he's like, yep, told you. Told you. He got benched because he wasn't hustling. That's that's why he is Tortorella. And a lot of people at first, when they heard about it, were like, hey, this isn't helping, John. You're destroying your leverage and your trade value for this guy because it's, like, it's pretty clear you don't want him here. And you're just giving up on him to hurt your trade value. You're losing your leverage. Yarmo Kekalainen, the GM, he, he's going to lose his leverage negotiating with other teams. When you got two years left in his contract, you got a good amount of leverage. And John Tortorello pulls the plug on him tonight. It, you know, it doesn't look good for leverage. But then, then the video starts to get sent around. The video of him just lollygagging around the ice, putting in absolutely zero effort, which has been the report through four games for Columbus. The, you know, from what we've heard, the guy's been lollygagging. He looks terrible. Looks lifeless, lost, lack of energy. Just has not looked good, not looked interested. That's what I've heard pretty much whenever I've seen anything about him, that he's looked bad. He's not played well. And it's not just that, you know, he's sneak bit. It's that he's not playing hard. And that's just not going to fly with Tortorella. He had it tonight, he benched him. And that's pretty much what the consensus was once the video of his shift that got him benched got, you know, sent around Twitter. Was that, yeah, the dude's loafing it in. He shouldn't be playing. Yeah, you know... Probably would have been easier if Tortorella just scratched him instead of putting him out on the ice for four minutes. It would have made it a little less of an obvious thing, but you know the questions would still be there. But to be honest, I'm a coach. I'm not putting that guy on the ice either. He's not buying in at all. You got 19 other guys dressed for that game. You got plenty more in the locker room in the taxi squad. Guys that want to win games, guys that want to go back to the playoffs where they've been, I think, three or four years in a row now. They've been a consistent playoff team. They've been a consistently good team. They finally won their first playoff series against Tampa Bay that year. They swept them. Got knocked out in the first round by Tampa Bay, but gave them all they could handle in five games. And, you know, they had that five-overtime game. It's a team that's been good. You're not trying to get out of Columbus because the team's got a lack of success. Maybe he thought he saw some writing on the wall after all these stars got traded, but then he signed the contract, the, his RFA contract this year. So I don't really know why exactly Dubois wants out, but he's made the situation toxic, and he's probably going to get his way out now. Because it's pretty obvious to anyone watching that Tortorella doesn't want him there. And Yarmo Kekalainen is probably just going to have to accept an offer at some point coming up now. Because, like we talked about with Sean Watson, you know, if he makes it toxic enough, Texans are going to have to trade him. Or Pierre-Luc Dubois tonight, the situation got toxic enough where he's probably going to be out the door soon. Plenty of teams are going to be interested. He's a 22-year-old center that's playing on the top line at Columbus. Probably profiles a bit more as a number two on some of the elite teams, just because he's a bit more of a two-way type player. He doesn't have as much offensive upside as some of the elite centers, like Alec Crosby or McDavid or Dreisaitl or anybody like that. But on a cup-contending team, slot him into your top six, either first line, second line, center. Let him be a bit more of your defensive line. That would be a big boost to any team. And he's 22 years old, making $5 million the next couple of years. Not a bad contract at all. Then he's got RFA rights where you're going to have the exclusive uh, rights to negotiate with him while someone offers sheets you, which doesn't really happen in the NHL, no matter how much we want it to for chaos. So it's a good contract for other teams for a good player. 
and he's made it toxic enough where he's probably going to get out. We'll see in the coming days and weeks, probably not months. It's probably going to be a lot sooner than that. Probably you know, in the next couple of weeks or so, he's going to find his way out of Columbus, find a new home. And it's a real shame because you know, Columbus, they went all in 2019, got a bunch of guys. They knew Panarin wasn't going to come back because so he wanted to go play in a big city. Ended up being New York. They knew Bobrovsky probably wasn't coming back because so he wanted $10 million. And they knew Matt Duchesne, they traded for him as an expiring contract, and Ryan Dezingle. And they knew that, hey, these guys are all leaving. Our stars are going to leave. Let's go all in. They did it. They went all in. Swept Tampa Bay in the first round, the 62-win Tampa Bay team. And last year, when no one expected anything from them, got back to the playoffs, beat Toronto in the playing round, and put up a real good fight against Tampa Bay again, a team that went on to win the Cup. So it's a team that's very competitive. And I know Tortorella can be a hard coach to play under, I guess, if you don't want to buy in. He asks a lot of you, and he's demanding, and he's brash, and he's going to say everything to your face. You know, he's not going to he's not going to mince words. But it's worked. It's hard to complain about a coach like that when it works. And Dubois, I guess, had enough. And you could say that this isn't helping, but I would do the same thing if I was in John Tortorella's shoes. He completely quit on his team once he signed that two the two year contract couple days later I want out and that's really it's looked like it doesn't look like he wants to be there it looks like he's skating around the ice trying not to get hurt from all the shifts I've seen he's been bad he's been slow he's been looking disinterested he's been lazy and the isolated shift which I'll try to link in the description check it out in the description I'll have the link down there probably gonna be a couple links one on just the isolated incident on the boards the other one is the whole shift where they've got the camera isolated on him you tell me that looks like a guy that wants to go out there and play for his team because it doesn't to me. This is a guy that should be playing 20, 22 minutes a night on the top line, playing a gritty two-way style. That's his game. He's a guy that, you know, he plays defense. He's not a superstar that's going to float around and cherry pick. That He's been a good player because of his ability, 200 feet up and down the ice. That's the kind of player he is. He's not brought that at all. And Columbus, you know, it, it stinks. You're probably going to have to get rid of him. He was a former top three pick. And I believe it was the Matthews draft. I think it was Matthews, Line A, Dubois. And now you probably have to move on for him. And you're probably not going to get as much as you should because of how toxic the situation has gotten. You lost a lot of leverage. And yeah, you could criticize Tortorella for losing leverage. I don't blame him at all. They get absolutely quit on his team. And it's really a shame to see because it's a Columbus team that, yeah, they're not the most talented team in the world. They're, they're not. Let's be honest. They're not Tampa Bay. They're not some of those old Pittsburgh teams. They're not Toronto. They're not loaded with these top-line forwards that just score for fun. They're a team that gets it done through hard work, grit, good defense, timely goal scoring. And he fit that perfectly, and he just absolutely quit on him because he wants out. You know, Montreal is a big rumor he might go up there for a team that thinks they're pretty close to contending again, and he's a French-Canadian kid, Pierre-Luc Dubois, as you could tell. You know, he, he might want to go home to Montreal if they, they're interested in him. I know a lot of Rangers fans think that he could help solidify their top six. They, they want him or Eichel, which, you know, very different prices at this point, probably, but who knows? Eichel might be pulling the same kind of uh, get me out of Buffalo card if that team keeps floundering because they haven't made the playoffs in 10 years. By far the longest drought in the NHL now since Arizona got in through the playing round last year. I think the NHL, every team's made the playoffs since 2016, except for Buffalo, which is like 2010, 2009, wherever it was, 10 years ago. So Eichel might be in a similar situation soon. We'll see. But yeah, Sean Watson trying to force his way out of Houston. We'll see if the situation gets toxic enough during the offseason to actually get him out of there. Pierre-Luc Dubois, he's probably made his situation toxic enough to get out of Columbus. I guess he'll get what he wants. He doesn't have the same kind of no-movement clause that uh, that a Watson has. But 
bottom line, it sounds like he just wants to go anywhere but Columbus, which I know it's a smaller NHL market. It's not New York. It's not Chicago. It's not Toronto. But there's nothing wrong with Columbus. He hasn't explicitly come out given a reason. Maybe he just wants to go home to French Canada, go to Montreal. Maybe he wants to be like Panarin, go play in a big city like Chicago or New York. But 22 years old, he's forcing his way out the door. Columbus is going to pick his destination for him because he doesn't have that no movement clause. He's not going to be able to say no to a destination he doesn't like. It's going to be the best offer. Who knows what kind of offer they're going to get with how toxic the situation has gotten. They've really lost almost all the leverage they had. They've got the two years left on this contract. He's an RFA, so they'll get draft pick compensation if he leaves as a free agent. But he's probably not going to get the free agency in Columbus. He's going to get traded. It's just a matter of when now. It seems like not if. So keep an eye on that over the next couple days and weeks. We'll do an episode on it when he gets traded. So keep an eye out for that as well. So in this episode, of course, you know, George Springer to the Blue Jays. Like that move for them. Stinks for Houston, but, you know, oh well. Sean Watson trying to force his way out of Houston. Again, stinks for Houston, but that's just the way it is sometimes. And Pierre-Luc Dubois probably also going to try to force his way out of Columbus. Well, he has tried. He's probably going to succeed. He's going to get his way out of Columbus. So keep an eye on all that. Watson and uh, Watson Dubois, we'll cover that when it happens. And George Springer to the Blue Jays. Hopefully get some more MLB moves coming up soon. But until we do, this has been episode 18 of the Midnight Snacks with Kyle A podcast. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Really appreciate it. And until next time, have a good night.